you know, if you follow somebody around, forget what they say, forget that for a moment, but if you follow somebody around, you just kind of watch what they do, right? Watch what they wear and where they go and what they do. You can tell a lot about a person, right? For example, you can tell what they want to be when they grow up, you know, what their identity is, if they're risk-averse, or what else you can tell next if their insurance premiums are going to go up. Don't you want, you can tell if there's going to be a lawsuit somewhere down the road, I guess. Uh, You can tell who shouldn't be working at the zoo, right? Yeah. Or at the mechanic's place. Um, Or you can tell if someone has no common sense as, as well. If you just watch what people do. Now everyone's got a story, everyone's got what, you know, what they say and what they do. Two different things often, right? For example, somebody may say that they love this country, uh, but what does it look like if someone really, really, really loves this country? Well, it could have a lot of different faces, I'm sure, but I would suppose someone who's given their life, someone who's taken the oath to protect the country, yes, that's what it could look like. Um, living in Western PA, I come across folk who say they're Steelers fans, but you know, they don't you know, they still think Terry Bradshaw's playing, you know, they have no clue who's winning, or the score is, the record, they just don't know. And so, what does a Steelers fan really look like? If someone's really, really, you know, a Steelers fan, I think this, there are probably a lot of different faces, but this guy probably represents that well. I had the same issue when I was in uh, Wisconsin. A lot of people said they were Packers fans, but there's like no emotion. No emotion if they're winning or if they're losing. What does a Packers fan really look like today? I think today... That's what a Packers fan. If you really are a Packers fan, then this is what you you look like today. At least it's what your what your heart is doing today. You have met people, right, who uh, claim like they're 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 health conscious, but they they never eat anything healthy. They don't exercise. They want to be health people, but they're not really health people. You might find people who claim they're into social justice. But if you were to follow their life around, what are they doing? But then there are other folk who may not say anything. Someone who's really, really into social justice. They probably are giving their money to fight poverty. They are trying to organize folk to combat uh, sex trafficking here in Erie. They are working in a soup kitchen. You just watch them and you know what their values are. What's important to such a person? As is the rest of the, the life, so is our faith. Uh, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 he's talking about this idea of, of resurrection and he knows that some people are saying oh yeah I believe in the resurrection but do they really believe in the resurrection is it, is it, it's, it's easy right to have it in your head lots of things in your head but it's different if someone has it in their heart it drives them Causes them to get up in in the morning. It, it, it is the grid by which all their decisions are made. Having it in, in your head, there's there's a big there's a big difference. And here's a concern for me, for us, church. Sometimes we can come to church, and we think because we've heard it, it's in the head, it's good. Things are good, but it never gets to the heart. 
Uh, James mentions it this way. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James gives you the picture of someone who, the whole purpose of looking in a mirror, right, is to see what's wrong and to fix it. You don't just look at it and go, yeah, that looks pretty awful, and then turn around and leave. You fix it. You do the best you, you can. The purpose of looking into the law, the word of God, is to look at our life. I've messed up some stuff during this week. I've gotten some things out of line. I, I, I need to look and to see where my own values and, and thinking is out of whack and get it straightened out. Because you don't just look into the mirror and go, oh, yeah, that's the way it is, and leave. You, you stop and you do something. And, and James says, you, you look at the scripture and you just walk away. You're just to hear. Sometimes we come to church and we think, I've heard the message. That's cool. Check. And I don't think God is that way. I don't think we get any credit for hearing the message. As a matter of fact, we could gain some condemnation on it. I think God's thing is came to church, heard the message, and changed, did something about it. Okay, now that's a check in God's mind. And so if we just hear it, and so we can hear all about the resurrection. Oh, yeah, the resurrection, that's good. Yeah, good job, okay. And it's in our head, but if it's, if it's in your heart, what does that look like? Someone who really believes in the resurrection. And that's, again, why Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15, because he knows there's some folk in Corinth who are saying, you know what, uh, we're not talking resurrection of Jesus, right? We're talking about the doctrine of resurrection, how all the, the, the people, saints, righteous, unrighteous, will be resurrected one day. Specifically, we're talking about the saints resurrected one day. And there's going to be some folk in Corinth who are saying, ah, that's kind of anti-philosophical. That's kind of unscientific. Do we really have to go down that road? Do I really need to believe that? Let's just come and have feelings and, and you know, just have community. Do we really need that? And Paul's addressing those guys. There are some people in Corinth who are saying, yeah, resurrection, schmection, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter in this world. You know, when I get there, I'll find out what it's going to be. You know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And how I live today is not going to change that. So what's the big deal? And so Paul is writing to these folk saying the truth of the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection is not egghead stuff. It's not uh, for the afterlife. It's for the before the afterlife. It's for the now life. And, and Paul goes, if you really understand it, and you, not just in your head, but you really embrace this in your heart. This is going to change your life. And what he does in the text this morning going over is he shows us how, what it looks like. Someone who really believes in this, what, what their life looks like. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, first 11 verses. He's talking to all these folk. He knows they're all over the map, so he wants to bring us all to the same page. So he says, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess, yeah. So he goes through the resurrection of Jesus, first 11 verses. Verses 12 through 34, he kind of plays devil's advocate. And he says, you know, if the resurrection isn't true, this is the consequence. Basically, we're all wasting time and are the most foolish people in the world. And then verses 35 through 49, he says, because Jesus rose, you, your body will literally physically rise from the dead one day. 
This is what it's going to look like. If you missed last week, you want to grab that, that, that CD or podcast. And then today, he finishes off the chapter. And basically what he's saying is, this doctrine of the resurrection, and if you believe this, really believe it, this is how it can change your life. So if you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, turn on your Bibles or your uh, uh, Bible app, 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll kick right into verse 50. He's kind of do, starting off in verse 50, uh, a little bit of where he was, where we were last week, kind of reminding us of what he's been saying. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It's like if you were saying, you know, I want to go live uh, underwater. You know, I'm going to go live underwater. I'm going to live in the bottom of the ocean. There's lots of things that are alive down there. Life can be down there. I'm going to go live down there. Someone may hopefully stop you and say, uh, no, no, not so fast, because though that's true, there is life down there. Your body is not equipped for that environment, and you, you just can't handle that. You, there's got to be some sort of change. You've got to be like an incredible Mr. Limpin or something. There's got to be some sort of change that's got to happen before you're going to be able to, to do that. Paul says, you want to get to heaven one day, eternity, where there's no brokenness, and there's no decay, and there's no, no pain, there's no wearing out, the imperishable. Your body's not equipped for that. Your, your, your current body's broken and decay and pain. It, there's got to be a change. So he, he says there's got to be this deal. And so that's why the resurrection, where we talked about last week, we're going we're to be resurrected. It's like we're a, a grain, a seed right now, but as the plant is so much more glorious than the seed, our resurrected body is going to be so much more glorious than who we are right now. But then there's a question that can come up. Paul anticipates this. Folk will say, well, when Jesus comes back, I mean, that's great. The people who are in the ground, they'll be raised up glorious. But what about us who are still alive? So Paul tackles that one. Verse 51 and 52, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Uh, this idea we shall, the, the, the sleep thing. It's a metaphor, Old Testament and New Testament, for, for death. We, we, we know there are cults that teach something called soul sleep. When you die, your body, your soul, your spirit, it all kind of goes to sleep, and you're just unconscious for a long time, whenever, until Jesus comes, and he'll kind of wake you up. But your soul sleep. But we know all of Scripture doesn't doesn't go with with that. It does, doesn't agree with that. Jesus is on the cross, Luke twenty three. The the uh, thief on the cross is talking to him, right? Luke twenty three. And the thief said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." They're they're dying, right? And Jesus said to him, "Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." Today, the day when Jesus' body's in the grave and the thief's body's in the grave, Jesus and the thief are in paradise. Paul brings a little more uh, clarity to this thing in 2 Corinthians. Next text. 
So, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so what teaching of Scripture is when you die as believers, your body will go in the, the ground, but your spirit immediately is in the presence of Christ, some sort of conscious disembodied state but conscious glorious state but your body is kind of sleeping that's the picture of the sleep your body is sleeping but one day i mean paul says we're not going to all die somebody some christians will be alive when christ comes back and and so but uh we all will all of us will be changed remember our perishable body bodies can't inherit the imperishable it's kind of like uh the caterpillar in a cocoon you know you turn into metamorphosize and you turn into the the uh moth or the butterfly man how long is that gonna take he says it's gonna be instantaneous in a moment the, the word moment is is in indefinable indefensible unit it's the smallest unit you cannot separate it any any further in a moment in the twinkling of an eye instantaneous will be those of us who are alive when christ comes back will be will be changed and when's this going to be he says well when the, when the, the last trumpet is what is the trumpet thing about uh, keep in mind the bible was not written directly to you and i 21st century Americans. It was written to these guys. It was there to them before it was to us. So he had to use language and pictures that they knew. Uh, Numbers 10. Israel just comes out of Egypt. There's tons of them, right? But there's no PA system. You know, Moses gets on. Listen, everybody gather over here. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. You can't do that. And so people are out hoeing in the field and whatever else. How do they come? The trumpets. In Numbers 10, Moses says, get some trumpets. He gives them the code, the rest of it. When the people out hoeing in their field or home needing bread or whatever they're doing, they hear the trumpet blast. They all come together. Throughout Scripture, the trumpet was was huge. It's not the brass silver horn, big kind of ram's horn thing. Uh, it was huge for calling the people together. Whenever there was anything special, whenever you had your major festivities, the, the trumpet, the horn went off and let people know it's time to start. And then when it was done, the trumpets went off. It's time to be done. And when you had a coronation for the king, the trumpets went went off. And, and whenever there was anything really special or significant, that the trumpets went down. Now, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, all these guys are looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back, the Messiah comes back. And so what they say is at the last trumpet, uh, Joel 2, Jeremiah 51, uh, Isaiah 27, Zechariah 9, you get into the, the, the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 24, Revelation 5. All, all these passages are saying about the same thing, that at the last trumpet, a trumpet will sound. And then Christ, and what they're saying is at the last hurrah, the last big thing that's going to be happening, which he's calling everybody and he's calling all the attention to, the last big thing, that's when all of this is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but the last big thing, it's going to happen. Now, Paul has uh, been talking about the resurrection. And Paul, it's not in his head, it's in his heart. 
And he's a very passionate guy. So Paul's getting excited and worked up about this kind of thing, right? And he's thinking about the day when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes back and, and all the dead are raised imperishable and we are changed in, imperishable. And he's getting pretty excited about this. Death is gone and decay is gone and pain and sorrow is gone. And so he kind of jumps into a shouting thing here. I won't shout it. But in verses 54 and 55, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, that's the very end, right? Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. This is Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul's looking at this and he's going, ah, he's taunting death. <laughs> death, you thought you were in control. Everybody was so afraid of you, death. You took the kings and you took paupers, everybody. But there's a new sheriff in town, death. You're not in charge anymore. Paul's kind of taunting death. Now, one of the things that you see here, and this is the first characteristic picture, someone who really embraces the, the, the resurrection, they understand it, it's not a head thing, it's a heart thing, is, is, is hope in the face of death. Hope in the Bible is a radically different thing than hope the English word. Hope, the English word, is like a, just a, a wish. You know, I, I, I hope you die in your sleep. You know, if you're angry, I, I, I hope I get a date with him or her. I, I hope to be president one day. I hope I can grow up and play on the Packers, whatever you're into. You, you, you say, it's just a wish. No, no validity to it, just kind of a wish. Hope in the Bible is a joyful expectation uh, based on compelling evidence. I mean, two different things, two radically different things. And one of the things that understanding the resurrection gives you is biblical hope. I see, see a lot of Christians approach death with like the English word hope. Get really, I mean, there's anxiety over death, period. I got that. But it's, uh, I... Uh, Kind of hope this is all true. <laughs> I really, I really, I really hope that that Jesus really was real and he really kind of died for. I really hope that that's. I really hope that that's true. They approach death with an English version of hope, not a biblical view of hope. And Paul says we can, if you understand this, because we're gonna face death one day. If you understand this, you can face death. Not minus all anxiety, but with a biblical understanding of, of hope. Well, we in our culture handle death in lots of ways, right? We uh, belittle it, uh, you know, kind of joke about it, nervous joking about it. I think it was, was it Woody Allen? I, I'm, would you say something like, I, I don't. It's not that I'm afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I think that was Woody Allen's thing. Or uh, the person who said, when uh, I die, I want to die like my grandfather died, peaceful and in his sleep. And not like the other people in his car screaming in terror. Um, you know, it's just, we kind of say, we just kind of, mm, uh, but when you're facing it, it's not a funny thing. We, in our culture, deny it. We run from it. Uh, it's interesting, Epicurus, he was this uh, Greek philosopher 2,000 uh, years ago, he said, said this, it's fascinating. He said, people are not afraid of, of death uh, being annihilation, ceasing to exist. 
said, people are afraid if it's not that. The thought that there may be a judgment thing. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Dr. Samuel Johnson said, everybody is afraid of dying. Rousseau said that if you say you're not afraid of death, you are a liar. Johnson went on to say that it's irrational for someone to not be afraid of death because we know that we've blown it. We know that we, we have failed our parents, we failed our kids, we failed our employees, our employers, we failed our spouse, we, we failed ourselves. We've just dropped the ball a lot. And if there's this judgment thing going on, well, it can be kind of nerve-wracking. I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to do, do with, with that one. Uh, Larry King, is New York Times, uh, 2015. They wrote an article on, on Larry King, and they said that he was uh, obsessed with death. He would start every morning reading the obituaries, and he would wonder uh, who would be reading his. The author of the article interviewed King, and he said that, that uh, Larry King kind of thought that maybe Bill Clinton would read his eulogy and kind of smiled about that. And he said The author then said that King's face went kind of ashen as he realized yeah, but I won't be there for that. I won't be able to see that or hear that. King's had a uh, heart attack, quintuple, quintuple bypass surgery, uh, diabetes, uh, prostate sur- uh, cancer. He'd been divorced seven times. At 77 years of age, a CNN dropped him, let him go. And he said that at that point, that's when his mortality was in his face because he realized he's being put out to pasture. And he said stuff would happen in the world and he'd be excited. And he thought, oh, I need to say something and be looking for the little red blinky light on the air. And he'd realize it's not, it's not his turn. He's done. He's finished. The world was going to keep going on without him. And so what he would do and what he does is he takes uh, uh, human uh, hormones, growth hormones to try to prevent aging and death. He's got special hormone treatments that he does and he's made plans that just before he dies his body will be frozen so that maybe one day when people figure out this death thing and they can cure it, they can bring him back and he'll, he'll, he'll continue to live. The author of the article said this. Um, they said that uh, the author said it's nuts, concedes King this idea about freezing, but at least it gives him a shred of hope. Larry King goes on to say, other people have no hope. There's, a, there's that denial aspect. Uh, so our, our culture will make fun of it, or deny it. Uh, and how about the death social scientist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? We just need to accept it. I mean, it's just normal. Everyone dies. It's normal. It's just the, the circle of life. It's it's a natural thing. It's just peaceful cessation. It's just a gentle going to sleep. But we know. Whenever we go to a funeral, we know this is not normal. This should not. No one has had to tell us that. We just know it. It's, it this is not the way it was supposed to be. And plus, we hear this, oh, it's just natural, and it's just, there's peaceful cessation and all these wonderful things. We know that's bogus counsel, because no one has been there. They don't really know. They're speaking as authorities on something that they really don't know about. And so there's this fear. But Paul says here that there's another perspective on on. on 
death. And that is seeing death as a defeated foe. Yeah, I mean, it is a foe. It's not a nice thing. It's not a good thing. It's, it's, but it's a defeated foe. And we might say, well, yeah, Paul can say this kind of thing now, but what's he saying when he's getting ready to die? I mean, that changes your perspective when you're facing death. Paul, 2 Timothy 4, he's facing death. And he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. It's going to be beheaded shortly, most probably. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who've loved his appearing. Notice, notice that one word, the henceforth, henceforth. Paul has lived his life with this idea of resurrection in mind. He's lived his life for the kingdom of God, for this is not my home. I'm not living it for the here. I'm living it 100% for there. And so because he was living his life for there, when it came time to go, you know what? He wasn't saddened. He, was, he wasn't grieving so much of everything because he didn't live his whole life for down here. He was living it for up there. It was that, with that resurrection in, in mind. We had... Uh, this past week, Fred Herschelman uh, passed away, one of, one of ours. I didn't know Fred very well, but his testimony uh, really uh, hit me at, at his funeral. Fred facing death, getting ready to die, he writes this. He says, I have completed my life's journey here on earth. I have arrived safely at my new destination and no longer reside at my old address. I am now living in heaven. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. It's just as he promised. He's here. And I'm loving him with none of the old life interfering. My pains are all gone and my tears are all wiped away. And no one is sad here. Uh, Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. It says, Before I left earth, I prayed for many of you, so please be ready and come and see me. I'll be waiting for you. But better yet, Jesus is waiting for you because he has prepared a mansion just for you. Think of it, your very own. I'll see you when you get here. So long until we meet again, Fred. What a what a mindset. I was talking to, to Phoebe between services, and she said, that, "Yeah, was, he doesn't wanting to die per se, but there's that hope, that understanding. When we're there, this is what uh, is on the other on the other side." So one of the, the key, if you, what does it look like for someone to embrace the resurrection? Is a hope. In the face of, of death. Well, what, what else? Go Skip down to verse 58. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers. And you'd think he'd say, Therefore, he's saying, Because of all the stuff I said on the resurrection, all the incredible stuff on the resurrection, you'd expect him to say, Therefore, be encouraged. He doesn't say that. He says, therefore, because of all the resurrection, if the resurrection is in your heart, if you've embraced it, it's who you are, then I want you to be steadfast, immovable. One of the, the 
things you see of somebody who's embraced this idea of resurrection is perseverance. Paul knows temptations are going to come. A lot of people are going to want to quit. It's going to get hot in the kitchen. The folk are going to want to quit. Persecution they weren't anticipating is going to come, and they're going to want to quit. Winds of strange new doctrines will come up, and they're going to move off center. And Paul says, because of this doctrine, the resurrection, be steadfast, be immovable, hang in there. Maybe some of y'all, you started off well, but I'll tell you what, between the temptations, between the pains, between the issues, you're moving off center. You've decided maybe even to hang it up a little bit. I can't tell you personally, for me, how many times I've hit, been confused or wondering, and I have to go back to this resurrection. I say, okay, did Jesus, would he raise from the dead or not? And as you look at the evidences and you look at the person of Christ, as the resurrection gets into your heart, you know what? It makes you immovable, steadfast, able to to withstand the stuff that's coming because you know your faith is going to be assaulted. And I would say if your understanding of the resurrection is shallow, you're going to tumble. You're going to fall. That's why Paul says that if if it's solid, you know what? Be immovable. Be steadfast. Come back to this. But then he doesn't stop there. The the portrait of somebody who holds the the resurrection in their heart, they have hope in the face of death, they have perseverance, but then also this, and this was an interesting one. I didn't write this, Paul did. A service. says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That abounding, you know what, abounding is over the top. That's too much. That's more than enough. It's, 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 it's uh, way beyond is the word. Way beyond. And how often do you do this? Once in a while? Always. Always be overbound. Now, you need to be wise and balanced and all that stuff. But Paul says if you're going to err, always abounding. This is not a token time. I serve a little bit. It's I. I we think sometimes my life is the hub. And then I've got the... All the spokes, and I've got my family spoke, and I've got my uh, work spoke. That's sorry about that. That's a big one. I've got hobby spokes, and I've got friends spokes, and uh, and oh yeah, I've got my little spoke over here. It's my service spoke. Once in a while, a season comes up where I go and I do this one service thing. And Paul says, No, 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 no. Your hub is serving him. And all these things are just ways you, you do it. Paul would say, great thing for, for Christians who probably give and serve and pray as little as possible. He, w- he would say, why? I, I don't think Paul would understand. You know, why would you be satisfied with trivial, u- useless drama things that this world has to offer when if this is true? And someone who believes this is really true, it's not fire insurance type thing for them, it's not just in their head, it's in their heart. They cannot help but but get this out. They want to see people grow in this. They want to see people come to know this. This is what drives them as far as service. We don't want to serve out of guilt. we got all the stories and, and manipulation stuff to get folk there. We don't want that to ever be part of the church. But 
folk who, who are so committed to the gospel, so committed to the resurrection of, of Christ and to their resurrection one day, that they cannot, you got to tell people this. I remember I was uh, 12. I was in, this, I, saw, I saw this for the first time. I grew up in the church, so I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it's like all the pieces came together. I was at a camp and just like, oh, that's what this is about. I said, i got to be a pastor. And only because the guy telling me this was a pastor. And I thought, I just got to tell people this. This is amazing. Folk must not know this. This is what a cool thing. And so this idea of, of uh, always abounding. Now, here's the question we had as we wrap this up. You might say, okay, listen, uh, I understand the resurrection thing as least as much as I can, but I think it's over here in my head and not in my heart. I want it to be in my heart, but it's just not there yet. And I'm not sure how to get it there. I can't fake it, so what do I do? How do I get it from the head thing to my heart thing where it's actually controlling me? Let me give you a challenge between now and the end of the year. Would you consider memorizing 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58? Just eight short verses. Just eight short verses. But as you push that through your mind over and over again, your mind will be renewed with the reality, the truth of God's word, with what it says. You push that through your mind over and over again. When you need it, the spirit can pull it back to your, to your, to your memory. Uh, as you push this through, as you seek to do what it says, okay, I'm gonna stand fast here. This junk is going on, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Okay, how can I be serving? I need to serve the Lord. I gotta figure out how to do that. You can figure out how to do that. Yes. But I'm not gonna tell you how to memorize. My guess is this. That if I said, I'll give you a million dollars if you get this memorized, you'd figure out how to get it memorized, right? We don't need any lessons on how to memorize this. I'll figure, I'll do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. And just get this down and push this through over and over. God's word will do what it does. It will begin to mold us and begin to shape and begin to sharpen our faith. And can you imagine what God will do with a church where the people embrace the, the resurrection. They embrace the, the doctrine in their heart that drives them. Where it's not a guilt thing. It's not a in-my-head thing. There's enough churches where it's just an in-my-head thing. Let's not be there, right? Where it drives us. What might he, he do here in Erie and through us?